Marker one. Marker one outside. And we are rolling. This is a production of Dirty Mo Dirty Mo Media. Oh yeah! Yeah! Oh yeah! Dirty Mo! Everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. My guest is Rodney Childers. What a first name, Rodney. What a last name, yeah. Childers. Mike Davis is here. Matthew Gilner, Leah. Everybody's in the house. Me and Rodney have been friends for a really long time. Uh, I, I was in the same grade in high school with his brother, mm. and uh, went. Uh, yeah, so I know Rodney. Okay. Had no clue he was going to become who he is today. Incredible. We're going to hear about his story. It's a great one. And we got a uh, really good show for you. Ask Junior, Odd History, all that's coming up. A lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice. I came from the, you know, the hard working side of the track. Gonna work so hard. Gonna work all day. with a, I don't know, with a sincerity, you know, you're real, you're serious, uh. And he worked hard. Whoa, yeah. Gotta work so hard. That was the hardest, hardest race I ever drove. What are we going to talk about in our open segment? I don't know. Let's just have some damn fun. About what? Yeah. I, I, too much news. Who? What is going on? Uh, Keselowski signed. Oh, okay. Keselowski. All right. So um, he signed a one-year deal. Everybody's like, oh, what happened? Why one year? I got an idea. Do y'all know? I don't know, but I mean, that's good for Keselowski, isn't it? I think so. so yeah. Brad don't want to be locked in for a long time. Yeah. So it isn't really, I don't think, anything to do with uh, Pinsky, I bet you that um, considering the uncertainty of the uh, of the times and and COVID and all that, I feel like that Brad probably said, "Hey, look, let's just get a year," and I want. I'm hoping that the market resets and and comes back, right? And uh, apparently, you know, and, and he's hoping to get a better deal, and he doesn't want to lock himself into something long term that he doesn't think is worth his employment, right? Mm-hmm. So, I uh, it's a risk. You know, it's like a player, I guess, signing the franchise tag in a way, right? Playing a year without a deal, possibility of, you know, obviously. Like a bridge deal? Injury, yeah. things like that. It's just a risk. It's a one-year deal. There's no long-term security uh, that, that Brad would probably want. Um, but he's going to try to, you know, hope that things reset and come back strong once fans are back at the track and the and the and and money's flowing back into the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, he's hoping that he'll get a better deal or – there might be another opportunity that uh, isn't available this year, but is available next year. That's what right? I suspect. Yeah, and I have nothing you, to base it off of. Got, I have I've just suspect that. That's why, to me, you if you're a driver, which he's not an old driver, so he's not looking. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of gas left in the tank yeah. here. So 
Um, I think he, if I'm Brad, I feel good about my talent. I got, you know, I'm winning races right now. And uh, there may be some opportunities that come up when this whole market sort of resets and we get, you know, get out of this pandemic. Brad is extremely philosophical and will do things the hard, complex way if that's the way he chooses to do them. Yeah. Yeah, he will. I know. And you're going with him. (laughs) Right. Right. I was going to say there's been um, some breaking news on Twitter that Levine sold his team Team. running through the end of the year. I didn't know if you guys had seen that or knew that. Bob Levine has sold his race team. Levine family, Levine. Levine. Levine family racing. And you're the one that bought it, right? I did not. <laughs> uh, Who bought it? This is the mystery right now as we're recording it. Yeah, right here. Leah, thank you for telling us about this, by With the way. With great sadness today, I announced the sale of the Levine family racing team assets and charter. Since 2011, our entire family has enjoyed being a part of NASCAR community. He's had a co-owner since 2016, Matt Deliberto. Deliberto. I never heard that name. Deliberto. Um, we will say goodbye at the conclusion of the 2020 Cup Series season. Um, I'll say this, man: when they came onto the scene, you know, this is an expensive. It's expensive as heck to race in the Cup Series. It's it's tough. It costs a lot of money to be competitive. And Bob, in the most recent years, has really put put an effort in to achieve anything and everything possible for their race team to get more competitive, and they've done that. They run fifth at New Hampshire last year with Matt DiBenedetto. They've had some great runs. You know, they've had some other great runs, almost one at Bristol uh, with Matt last year. They've had some really solid efforts this year with Christopher Bell. The team is really on the uptick, uh, but I believe that you know, much like furniture, uh, furniture row. You know, it just it, it just comes to a point, and this are, these are also tough times with the uh, pandemic and all of that. Uh, so we don't really know everything going on in Bob's life, but it just comes at times in the in the process where you got to pass the baton, right? Somebody else has got to take over, or yeah, it just runs its course. So he says with great sadness, and I'm sure he'd love to stick around. But I expect that that team will continue. Uh, I won't be surprised if they continue to be competitive and grow. Adam uh, Stern uh, tweeted uh, that it was apparently uh, sold to Spire. Sold to Spire. Hmm. Wait, let's process this for a Dang. second. Wow. Spire has the uh, 77 charter. Right, so they just currently. bought another charter. Bought, bought another charter. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is interesting. According to Adam Stern. Now, I'm not, not as quite as confident. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, Spire, now, well, Spire's I don't. First purchase was interesting. Me, go that, ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm still processing. I don't actually. know what Spire's intentions are as far as continuing what they have going on now, right? So I can't say I'm as confident. I guess is in the is is a is a would be if Bob was continuing the team. Um, Bob and them have forged a relationship with Joe Gibbs Racing. They're sharing a lot of information. Will that continue? I don't know. Um, they'll have a difficult time being as competitive and continuing this growth without that type of relationship with a team of Joe Gibbs Racing's caliber. If that continues, maybe the progress of the team continues. If that doesn't continue, that may be more make things difficult for them uh, to to stay, you know, be a top ten contender as they are currently. Uh, but we you know, we've seen teams do that. Listen, Spire, there's no reason why Spire 
can't be the next Bob Levine or 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 Furniture Row. You know, we. I, I'm telling you, these. In, I'm sure there's some cases or some situations that that happened in the past that are similar to this, but I don't remember them. I don't ever remember a team like Furniture Row coming into the sport, being a backmarker, qualifying last, barely making shows, missing shows for years, and then turning into a championship-winning organization. That, to me, is Cinderella. Oh, yeah. No, it's... Unheard of. All right? Bob Levine's team, they're on that same path. They're on the exact same path that Furniture Row has had paid paid before them. There's no reason why Spire can't do the same thing. I don't want to discredit them and say, hey, Spire's never going to make it. Let's say for those that are not aware what Spire even is. I mean, Spire Mm -hmm. is a marketing agency. Sports, you know, they they represent drivers. They're they're a an athlete representation and marketing company. And they currently uh, have the charter and the and they, team and then the 77 they, right they now. They sort of made big news when they bought a charter a couple years ago. Does Jeff Dickerson still own Spire? Jeff Dickerson, I believe, is still I remember Dickerson saying when they bought that first one that they had really, like, it blew everybody. Like, what are they, that they're going to buy? They're now in race ownership. Yeah. And Dickerson had laid it out on, they have a plan and a business model in which they would get a return on investment after like two or three years. I think it was three years. I I really could be wrong on the details here, but I remember being just captivated by this. It was very intriguing at the time. And so then they went off and won a race with Justin Haley. Remember this? Daytona. Daytona. And it was like, wow, they, they did this. And it was kind of, they themselves are a bit of a Cinderella story. We got some friends over there now that it, it inspired. Now, wow, though, to buy a second charter, that is interesting. I can't wait to – assuming that Adam Stern's report yeah. is true. Stern's report says that uh, th- there were several suitors, and it appears that uh, Spire is the one that, that got them. I'm also texting with another team right now that's been trying to – that is trying to get within Cup uh, that said that they fell $2 million short. So you're texting with them right now. Yeah, yeah. Go find out these details. Get get with get get, get, get the information. Go go to the top. Um, well, it's interesting. Wow. Back to your point though, Dale. Yeah, the uh, the Cinderella story that was Levine and Furniture Row. I, 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 oh, is that how you say it, Levine? Is it Levine? Levine? Potato? Potato? Boy, potato? We're tomato? gonna get, one, one of the we are gonna get killed either way. Destroyed for not knowing this. <laughs> I've always said Bob Levine. Well, listen. I mean, we still don't even know people. how to pronounce the name of this own company. I mean, sometimes it's Jr., sometimes it's Junior. Uh, we, we, what, what kind of motorsports company are we? Yeah. We we don't apologize for that. Every time one of these, I don't want to call them smaller, and I don't even want to call them underfunded because they were competitive. But one of these, let's call them independent. One, anytime these independent teams sort of go away, it makes me sad because it feels like we're – it reeks of being backed into this situation by the pandemic. It would be really hard for these independent teams to survive this pandemic, I would assume. Sponsorship, I mean, you get the whole thing. So if that is what this is, man, I hate to lose these independents. I mean, you yeah. would too, being like a you know old school, historical, you know, appreciator of, uh, of of all that racing gives. I mean, without the Jimmy Means and the independents and the those guys, I mean, that that's a big part of the sport. You see it on the Xfinity Series so much right now. You know, you have independents, uh, but 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 to to have that in Cup is uh, you know, even though they have an alliance, 
Um, it's it's always neat to see the teams that are our single car teams. And, kind and of Spire was team. in that category, unless yes. they are the actual buyers of this, and now they are a multi car team now. So I, I don't. Yeah, they are, but they're still an independent to me. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, I see right. what you're saying. I, I, I'll be. It'll be interesting to see how. It'll be interesting to see what they take. Uh, and do with this opportunity mm-hmm. or with this little nucleus of the race team that's really doing re- extremely well right now. Cool. Um, Congratulations to them, if that's true. I, I mean, that's interesting news. Yeah. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property. It's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings and student to teacher ratio they even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent so when it comes to finding a home not just a house a home this is everything you need to know all in one place homes.com we've done your homework all right let's get roddy childers in here all right guys just like we promised this week's guest roddy childers great friend of mine roddy thanks for coming out here and, and hanging out with us how you doing? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Pretty good. See all them trophies in the background. Yeah, he blinged up this shot good right Lord. here. Look at this. I was trying to make it look somewhat decent. Uh, the first shot I had was the kitchen in the background. I didn't think y'all <laughs> liked that a whole lot. How many? Uh, where's all your late mile trophies? Uh, most of those are still in the attic at my parents' house. <laughs> some of them are still in uh, our attic also. Yeah. Golly, man. I already had a lot of those. Yeah. Well, you ever get them out or look at them, show them to your kids or anything like that? I started to get them out at my mom and dad's not long ago, but um, just from sitting in the attic and, and the temperature change, all the, the bolts that hold them all together, you know, all those were the taller ones and, and all the bolts and nuts have kind of fallen apart. So That's crazy. Um, it would take some time to get them back going again. Does that make you feel old when you're, when you're, you're, so, you're so old that your trophies are falling apart? <laughs> yeah so i've you know in introducing the show i've been telling everybody that we were we knew each other since high school i was in the same grade as your brother how's he doing he's doing good yeah yeah so what's his name what's your brother's name rodney his name's todd so all right yep so we we went to we were in the same grade and we we and him were were we and him were kind of the same in the sense that we weren't we weren't in the in crowd. Oh, I got yeah, you. Yeah. I, there ain't no way you were in the no. in crowd. And so, <laughs> and so we would, me and him, we were we were friendly because kind of we were both outcasts, I guess, in a way. But uh, I ended up going over to your house to see uh, to see him about something, and Rodney's there, and he's like, "Hey, watch this, watch my racing video. You had these VHS stacks of VHS tapes." <laughs> And he's, I'm like, yeah. what's, what's all this? I've seen the pictures. You know, he's got pictures of him on his uh, go kart trophies everywhere. I'm like, man, let me see some of these races. And he throws in a couple of VHS tapes of him racing. That was my first memory of us. That was the first time we met. Are you, am I right? Yeah, I believe so. And then I think it was the year after that's when we 
we sat beside each other in drafting class. I think, uh, <laughs> like it was a year later. Are, are you older or younger than Dale? I'm a little bit younger. Okay. Yeah. Is that how you greeted everybody that came over to your house? Hey, you want to watch my VHS racing tapes? <laughs> <laughs> so like my room, um, you know, every, you know, a lot of the nationals and state races back then you would get plaques. So I started hanging plaques on my wall. So when you walked in my room, every wall, all four walls were nothing but plaques the whole way around. <laughs> so, um, it was, it was pretty crazy just to see. So, you know, if somebody saw it, they're automatically going to start asking questions like what in the world have you got going on here? Yeah, awesome. And there's Rodney with the answer. Well, yeah. let me just pop in this VHS tape, and then you're going to find your answer about these plaques. Yeah. So, Rodney, yeah. so how did you get into racing? What was the interest? So, as you know, you know, my dad was a car salesman, and he was never in racing at all. So um, I had one uncle that drag raced. I had one uncle that dirt raced. Um, the, the one uncle that dirt raced was the one that ran over at Metrolina a good bit. Wow. So, um you know, when I was probably about eight years old, one of my uncles took me to Metrolina, uh, watched some rakes in there. And then my other uncle started taking me to Mooresville Dragway every Friday night and just different things. Um, but my grandma, honestly, was a huge Richard Petty fan. And if she was at our house on Sundays, she would make me sit and watch the races with her. So I loved watching the races. Um you know, there, there really wasn't a race I didn't watch every Sunday, even though I, I was not uh, in a racing family, I guess you could say. But um, I had one friend, uh, his dad bought a uh, go-kart and started racing it over in Lincolnton. And I went with them uh, a couple times and watched his dad race and went back home and asked my, my parents for a racing go-kart. So uh, my mom, she was uh, making homemade quilts at the time. And and started, you know, working her butt off and sold a, a quilt to this lady down in Charlotte for a gob of money. I still don't understand how she got a, that much money for a quilt, but she went and bought, she went and bought my racing go-kart and got me started. And, uh, me and her went to the racetrack. How did it go? Well, it's kind of interesting. The first one that we went to, you know, we, we bought this used go-kart and it's old Margay, uh, you know, Briggs and Stratton, a junior, junior stock class. Um, but it was kind of race ready. He, he had some continental tires on it, ready to go. And everything was, was good. And he kind of told me how to, you know, put diesel fuel on them and, and, uh, get them, you know, prepped for that weekend and stuff. So we go over there and I honestly finished third in my first race, Wow. um, out of about 12, I guess there was, um, and then went back the next week and I think finished fourth or fifth. And then the third week I won. Well, I got thrown out uh -oh. after I won the first Why? race. Why did they throw um, you? Something with the carburetor wasn't right, which, you know, me and my mom didn't know. We just bought the thing and went to the racetrack. But um, yeah, you know, right. that kind of that kind of started another uh, part of my of my you know story, I guess, it was because um, you know, I met a cart shop that um, was willing to help us fix the engine and, and get it ready and they started helping me and uh, next thing you knew, six months later, they were hauling me around everywhere they went. So it, it, everything happens for a reason. Who's that guy? Uh, his name was Creighton Gibson. Uh, he was up in Troutman as a place called, uh, Gibson cart sales. And they would haul their trailer around to all the local dirt tracks around here and sell parts and, um, you know, sell go-karts and, and build some engines and stuff. And, um, you know, just out of the blue, they told my mom one weekend, um, uh, instead of y'all hauling that 
thing around in the back of that S10 truck. Why don't you just let him keep it in our trailer and he can work on it in our shop and we'll haul him around. So, um, you know, that was a huge step for us, you know, you know, compared to just me and my mom going and her trying to get me cranked on the grid all the time. Um, you know, Creighton kind of stepped in him and his wife, Tracy, and, and, uh, helped me get going there. So that was a, a huge step. So it's just you and your mom. What's the rest of your family doing while you're, while you're dry, while you're go-kart racing? Well, my dad, he would work till nine o'clock every night. Um, you know, he was a car salesman, still is. And, um, you know, he worked, uh, every day, but Sunday. So Friday nights, we would go over to two flags over in Concord and, and race over there. And then, uh, you know, Saturday nights, we would go down to Indian land, South Carolina and race down there. Uh, but my dad never really got to see me race. Um, he was, he was always working and, uh, my mom was always helping me and, and, uh, timing me. And, um, you know, everybody would feel sorry for her cause she'd be up there on the grid trying to get me cranked up. And, and, uh, you know, those old, those old Briggs, you know, you'd have to blow in the gas tank. <laughs> and you'd blow in the gas tank in order to get the methanol up in the carburetor. But uh, she'd be down there blowing in the gas tank and some guy would walk over and say, ma'am, just, just don't do this. Let us help him. So, uh, awesome. you know, it was, yeah, she, she hauled me around a little bit everywhere. So you get teamed up with this guy and is that when the plaques started coming in? Yeah, some of them. You know, the interesting thing with Creighton is, you know, his goal was to sell parts. Um, and the more racetracks you went to, the more parts you sold. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of when that started of going to two flags on Friday night and Indian land on Saturday, we would haul up the Hickory and, and race in the infield and halfway around the Ogle on Sundays. Uh, once, uh, once a month we would go down to Rockingham and run the gold cup track down there. In so the you're infield. running, you're running all types of carts, not just, uh, you know, not just your typical, you know, small dirt cart. Well, honestly, it was the same cart, and we would change stuff from day to day. Wow. Holy um, crap. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, an old Phoenix cart. I've still got it. I actually had uh, Kerry Parnell restore it. How did you uh, find it? For me. I've had it the whole time. I never got rid of oh, it. Oh, really? Man. Yeah. Dang, it's set in my parents' garage forever. And yeah. It's, it, it's there with you like it's at your house? Your no, shop? it's actually it's down at my shop. I've got a shop down in Cornea's, um, but it's down there, and it, it's it's immaculate. Carrie did a, a an awesome job getting it all fixed back up. I saw that on social media, um, but I didn't know the history on the cart. So, well, hold on, Rodney. How about how old are you when you got started? Because I'm try, yeah. I, I don't know. Are you in high school at this point, or are you younger? I was 12 when I started okay. racing, um, so I wasn't one of the the young pups that started when I was seven or eight, but Honestly, I think that helped me, you know, because starting at 12, you know, I got a four-wheeler when I was eight. I got a yard cart when I was 10. I got a motorcycle when I was 11, you know, so I was doing so many things. I knew how to drive before I ever got in racing. And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't this huge step to where somebody had to take me to the racetrack and set some cones out and figure out how to go around <laughs> the racetrack. Like I knew, uh, you know, I just went out there and practiced and started my first race and, and, uh, had no instructions. So uh, that part of it, I think was actually a good thing for me. So was, so you're running all over the, you know, all over the place and you, you're winning nationals and, and like your state championship, national championships. What are those, what are some of the accomplishments that you acquired during those times in, in the go-karts? Yeah. I mean, going into, uh, I think it was 93, 
um, that's when a guy named Mark Moog called from Olympic Carts, and um, you know he he wanted me to come, you know, drive for him. The guy that was driving for him had left him, and um, he's like, let's just go down to Georgia and run this big money race, and uh, down in Athens, and we'll see how it goes. And if it goes good, then we'll go from there. And we went down there, and we won every class, and uh, <laughs> you know we. He hauled, he hauled me back home, and when he pulled in the driveway, he gave me, uh, what did he give me, $2,500 cash. I was going to ask you, like, how did you get paid? Yeah, so he gave me some cash, which was unusual for me. So, um, you know, I started driving for him, and that's when it took off. Um, you know, driving for a, a factory team, uh, that's when we ran all the state races and nationals. And, man, we were winning everything that you can think of. Um you know, all the big money races and stuff. And that went on. Um, you know, we won, God, we won, uh, three or four national championships together. And, <laughs> and, uh, four, I think four or five state race, uh, uh, South Carolina state championships together. It's kind of weird. Cause everybody's like, why did you run South Carolina championship stuff? North Carolina just didn't really have anything back then. And if you ran the South Carolina championship stuff, it was all the guys that were in the nationals and, and it was a, a big deal. So, um, you know, we did that. And then honestly, when it got to like the end of 95, I felt like I was, uh, you know, I was ready to do it on my own. And I talked to, uh, you know, quite a few people into to doing stuff for me. I had a guy that was supplying engines, a guy that was buying my tires, a guy that was supplying go-karts, which was Mark. Um, and I kind of went on my own. And in 96, honestly, I won everything that I went to, it seemed. Um, <laughs> it was it was pretty silly uh, looking back on it. I wish uh, – those are the carts I wish I still had because yeah. that, that season was just immaculate. Um, you know, it was it was pretty crazy that year and, and a lot of fun. <laughs> I love this it. is so crazy. Where does this th- look? I'm forgive me if I'm not buying the fact that you had a motorcycle and a four wheeler before. Th- this is where all this talent came from. I mean, like you know, this is almost like that William Byron story before William Byron. Right. It's like he had no bloodline of like you know all this racing lineage. Is that that's accurate, right? Your dad's a car salesman. Your mom's making quilts. Which, by the way, every successful race team came started with the sale of a quilt. I mean, I've always said that, right? I mean, the quilt, that, that's where it happens, but. Why are you good? I mean, th- that's a fair question, and you can still be humble by answering that. What made you good? What made you a, a national champion? Somebody had to help you. You had to learn somewhere. Yeah, yeah I mean, racing for Olympic trick carts was was part that helped me mentally, I think, the most, just on the carts and learning the tires. And I mean, when I drove for Mark, we had 147 tires in the truck, I mean, in the trailer. Um, you know, we raced it at Delaware one weekend and, and Tennessee one week and, uh, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, where everywhere you went, you had to have a different kind of tire, a different wheel, a different, um, you know, stagger and all that stuff. So that's where I kind of learned all that was, um, you know, for the, you know, the factory team building a different go-kart every week, you know, different kinds of metals, uh, you know, different ways of welding it up. Uh, just all those things is what helped, but the actual driving part, I can't tell you, um, you know, that, that part was, was naturally, uh, something that, that I was good at. And, um, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy when I was, you know, this is before I even started racing, um, you know, Lake Norman back then, there wasn't a whole lot on it. I mean, you know, you could buy 20 acres on the lake and, and, uh, didn't cost you 
a whole lot, but uh, we bought some wave runners, one for me and one for my brother. And my dad didn't know how to back a trailer. So we had to go get the wave runners and I had to back them in the, in the driveway. And um, so then after that, he, he didn't know what to do. He's like, well, you can just take it to the lake on your own. So I was 10 years old. Oh. I would drive down the road. I would pull the wave runners down the road to the boat ramp, back them in the, in the lake, ride all day long and, and drive back home when I was 10. That sounds like a Mark Martin story, but yeah, it, I, I uh, was just thinking about Mark Martin. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> dad of the year, yeah, by the I mean, way, it's different times. Da there. Dad of the year, by the way. I don't know how to back this in, so let my ten-year-old son take yeah. these wave runners down to the lake. <laughs> I I just can't believe that my mom let me ride on the lake all day long when I was ten or eleven years old. No cell phone, no nothing. I have eleven-year-olds now, and there's no way I would let them do that. No way. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. This is fascinating. Yeah. Junior has been looking forward to this, by the way, because for, for, for a year, because he has been telling me, I mean, for years, he's like, you don't understand how good Rodney Childers was. Yeah. And I guess, did you guys race against each other eventually? No, I don't Never think did. we ever did. But, but, no, but, not really. But, like, I think that, uh, you know, the people that know how good you are, uh, you know, will go to their grave going, no, this guy was legit winning everything. There was, there was a win. But Rodney's so understated. You don't I, ever see I, yeah. like you, you you just don't see it right yeah. unless you were there. Yeah, and I, I think some of what hurt me a, a little bit, and my dad told my wife this just two weeks ago, and you know he, we were sitting there eating dinner, and he's like, he completely skipped childhood, like he was never a child, like he just completely was, um, you know, like a adult, acted like an adult, and. Um, the other side of it is I was quiet, you know, I just wanted to race. I just wanted to win. And I wasn't very talkative. Um, you know, I wasn't the type that was just going to go out and get sponsors. I never, I never was into any of that. So, um, and, you know, looking back on it, I think always driving for somebody else and my parents not paying for things hmm. that, uh, that was the part of me that I never had to chase money. And, um, so when it comes time to, you know, bush race and, you know, you, you walk in uh, an office and somebody wants, you know, a couple hundred grand for you to go, go bush racing for a little while or whatever. And you tell them you don't have any money. They just laugh and shoot you, you know, on out the door. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's part of it. You know, it's, uh, it's all part of my story and, and, uh, every bit of it's been, been a lot of fun. So you're dominating the whole you know, East coast in go-karts. How does, how do you get to a point to where you've, you make the decision to get out of the go-kart? That's that this is something, you know, so well, like the back of your hand and and you're so good at it. Um, how do you make that? Was I imagine it wasn't a tough decision to get into a full body car. You know, it was crazy how this happened and you'll remember some of this as I talk about it, but, um, you know, during 95 and 96, I started helping younger kids. Uh, you know, by that time, by 96, I'm 20 years old racing go-kart. So, um, you know, at 20 years old, you, you've, you can, you can kind of handle a lot, I guess you could say you've got a lot of experience. And, um, honestly, I was good with those kids and, and, um, I started helping a lot of them. I would work on their go-karts during the week. Uh, their dads would pay me some money to help me get by. And, um, so I'd been helping Clayton Rogers for uh, a couple of years and, um, you know, Keith, he would always, you know, call me and want me to meet him over in Concord to, to, you know, eat lunch with him. 
Well, he owned a sprinkler system uh, business over in, in Concord. So I would ride over there and eat lunch. And he called me over there one day and he said, hey, I got an idea. He said, I'm going to buy a late model. And I said, man, that's cool. I said, you know, Clayton's going to love that. I said, well, they let him race it at the age that he's at because he was a couple years younger than me. And he said, I'm not buying the late model for Clayton. I'm buying it for you. Uh, and I about fell on the floor, you know, and he said, I think what I want to do is to, to let you race it for a year and, and figure it out. And, and, uh, and then I'm going to buy another one and both y'all can race. And, uh, so we went for that first half of the year. We, we built a brand new Childress car from Joey Childress. Um, you know, got the engine straight out of Dennis Setzer's car. You know, it was no slouch. It was, it was all the, the right stuff. He spent, the you know the money where he needed to but we had no idea how to set it up you know we just got some some notes from different people and tried to set it up and went to tri-county and hickory a few different times and couldn't get it to turn for for anything it was it was pretty bad and uh then ended up getting in a wreck at at tri-county and getting turned around and and um destroyed it i mean knocked the front clip all the way back to the truck arm cross member um, so we were out the rest of the year. I think we only ran about eight races in, in, um, uh, in that year. And, um, he, he was a man of his word. He went straight to Greg Marlowe and bought Greg's car out from under him and, and, uh, bought a, a brand new engine from Robert Charlie Long. And, and, um, uh, he's like, he said, which one do you want to race? I said, honestly, I would rather run the Chevrolet. I shouldn't say that cause I've probably got a Ford shirt on, but, uh, <laughs> You know, so I, I moved to the, the Chevrolet. It was a, an old Monte Carlo and, and, uh, Clayton went to, uh, you know, in the Ford and the T-Bird, you know, Keith, I was always a Ford guy. So, um, it worked out good. And then that's kind of when we started, you know, I kept up both cars full time. I worked in the shop every day of the week. Um, and I would race at Tri-County on Friday nights and Clayton would run on at uh, Concord on Saturday nights. And, that first year was a ton of fun. Um, you know, in, in 98 there, I think I sat on the pole like 10 or 11 times at Tri-County and won 10 races, uh, went on the Hickory and won the fall brawl race there, uh, went to Myrtle beach the next week. And, um, we qualified first and third out of, I think it was about 117 cars there back then. And at the halfway point, they threw the, you know, the caution at the halfway point to it so everybody could come down road and put tires on but halfway i was leading and when i crossed the start finish line clayton was getting into three and the third place guy was in the middle of the back straightaway <laughs> and uh but you know it was a it was a good year uh, a lot of fun we learned a lot and um you know that just kept propelling me into the next thing in my life and um you know i got a call from um you know the craigs uh, you know matthew craig that runs now in the super late malls uh like in the cars tour and stuff that was that was his family and they called and wanted me to go as i mean not asa race they wanted me to go all pro racing with them uh the next year and so that's what we did and, and uh moved on from there what happened in that all pro car it was okay you know I, you know looking back on it we all wish we could have done it differently you know that that all pro car is a, a a lot different machine than in a late mall stock i just figured out the late mall stock stuff and you know, you jump in an all-pro car, that's a three-link car, and, uh, you know, we went from running 49.5% wedge to an all-pro car where you got 61% wedge in it, and, you know, just a lot different. Uh, you know, we uh, we had some good runs. You know, I'm not going to say we didn't. We we had some good runs. We went down to 
St. Augustine, which was maybe the, the second or third race of the year and set on the pole and run top five in that. Um, you know, we led a bunch of laps that year. And I think if you look at laps led, I actually led uh, quite a few laps. I was probably fourth or fifth on the list of laps led. But, man, you had some good people in that deal. You had, uh, you know, Billy Bigley won a bunch of races, Hal Goodson, uh, Wayne Anderson, um, all people that had always drove those type of cars and uh, knew what to do to them. But, you know, uh, with the Craigs, we were always – it was a battle every week, you know, what springs we were going to put in it. And the two brothers, they would want to argue with each other every week of how we were going <laughs> to set it up. And, uh, you know, some weeks it was good and some weeks it was bad. But, you know, they're a great group. And, obviously, they have learned a lot over the years. And Matthew is doing an incredible job right now in those cars. And what happened after that? Well, I mean, it, it kind of went uh, back and forth. You know, we got to the end of the year there, and um, I think I remember one part of it. We went to the banquet in, in Nashville, and um, I was never somebody that, that liked to get up in front of people and speak and all that stuff. And honestly, I got up there and got my award, and I didn't even thank the right people, and it kind of made some people mad, I think. But uh, <laughs> we, we split up. It was a one-year deal, and... I went back to wow. racing. They really wanted to be to thanked, did they? <laughs> What'd you go back well, to? Well, well, I went back to running some late models. Um, you know, somebody had told me that a guy named Jay Robinson had some some late models. He had bought a car from Robbie Faggart, and um, it was a it was a Childress car, which I was kind of tied to with Joey Childress, and no no relation. Just man, we we just hit it off from day one. But um, you know, he had bought that car from Robbie and. And uh, Jay said that he wanted to go racing and, and wanted somebody to drive it. So I went down to, to talk to him, and, and uh, man, the car was a tank. You know, even though it was one of Joey's cars, it was a tank. And um, we made a deal. I said, look, if you want to go race, we're going to have to spend some money. And he said, I'm fine with spending money. I just want to win races. And uh, about that time is when they released the, the press about the, the Cool Seal Challenge series, which is um, – you know, what was it called? ARA cool seal challenge. And they were all going to be televised, but it was going to be late mall stock cars traveling around. So, uh, Jay said that I could, could do it. And we took that thing apart. I remember it had 257 pounds of lead in it when we started and it had 425 when we ended. And, uh, we went and honestly, we won every race we went to in that series until the promoter pulled us beside the trailer at Tri-County and told Jay, he said, look, I don't mean this and to be rude, but you guys are coming in here with a tractor trailer hmm. and you're winning every one of my races. You're leading every lap. And I worked too hard to get this television deal to, to throw it all away. And I would appreciate it if y'all wouldn't come back. Oh, wow. And I about fell on the ground and he walked away and, and, uh, I looked at Jay. I said, that guy can kiss my ass. Hmm. <laughs> And Jay looked back at me and he's like, nah, we need to, we need, we don't need to be doing this. I'm going to go to an auction this week and I'm going to buy a bush car and we're going to figure something else out. So he, he was true. I mean, like he didn't lie to me. He went to an auction. I think it was that Lance crackers car. Uh, they were having an auction back then. I don't remember whose car that was. He went over there and he oh, bought Rain a car. Who, who is it? Rain man. Well, 98. What are you talking? 90, 2000. Ronnie, Ronnie Combs. Might have been right. Um, it was a '99 Monte Carlo. I do know that. It might have been but, Finch. A four. 
No. No, no. no. F- uh, 43? Lance. Lance Crackers. Because Purvis, Purvis drove that, but that was afterwards. I don't know. So I don't was, remember. Yeah. But yeah, he went and bought it. And then we thought we were going to go to Myrtle Beach, run a bush race. But none of us, none of us in my group <laughs> knew that the thing had intermediate brakes on it. And uh, we went down to Myrtle Beach and tried to run the short track race down there with, with intermediate brakes. But we made the race. I think there was quite a few cars down there. And, and uh, we made we qualified 30th and run there for a little while. And then it's funny you said Purvis because Purvis and uh, Randy LaJoy crashed each other getting in the three. And then all the rest of us started piling in behind. And I ended up wrecked down in turn one. Uh, honestly, I should have just hit Blaze in the in the – in the back end and I probably would have been okay, but I tried to miss him and ended up in the inside wall. But, um, you know, that's kind of when things started changing for me. Um, you know, I, I wanted to go bush racing, uh, pretty bad. And, uh, was kind of going to some of the bush races and just kind of hanging around and trying to talk to the right people. And, um, you know, and that same year, um, I think it's when maybe Jeff Bodine got hurt. Um, maybe it was at Kentucky or somewhere like that. And somebody come over and asked me if I had my helmet with me and I got excited for a minute and then they, they put somebody else in it. And then the, the gold's pumps car, I was going, supposed to go test it at Nashville and, um, that fell through Chevrolet ended up giving a little bit of money for Shane Mill to hop in there and do that. Uh, went and tested the, the 17 car for riser up at Hickory. And that, that was probably a, a good story. I should probably tell that one, yeah. but. Uh, John Riser called me and, uh, John, you know, has passed away now. Incredible person, by the way. Um, absolutely incredible. So, um, you know, he called me up and he wants to, to talk a little bit. And I went over to Denver and talked to him and they set up a test over at, uh, Hickory and said that he's going to have some more people, uh, test the car that day and kind of have a, a little bit of a, a shootout type of thing. And, um, so two days before the test, I called Clayton and told Clayton, I said, man, John Riser called me. He wants me to test the 17 car up at Hickory this week. And he said, no way. I said, what? And he said, hey, he called me too. I'm going too. I was like, oh my God. Good grief. So, you know, two, two of us that have worked together that I crew chief for him and, you know, we were good friends and now we're going to go ballot out to, to try to get this bush ride. And, um, so we, we go up there and, and Tracy Hines is there when we get there and, and, um, you know, they, they basically let all three of us go out and practice a little bit. And then we're supposed to tell the crew, um, what we would change on the car. And I was the last one to go and I went out and made some laps and, um, you know, I was a little bit too free and we were supposed to run like, I think, I think they wanted us to run like 60 or 70 laps straight uh, without stopping and they were going to keep up with times and stuff like that. So, uh, I went out and practiced a little bit and, and, uh, Clayton had made a, a couple of adjustments and I went out and honestly, it was just too free. And I had them drop the track bar a half inch on each side and went back out and I said, yeah, that's good there. It'd be fine. And, um, so Tracy runs his, you know, 60 or 70 laps and then they put another set of tires on and Clayton runs his. And then I hop in there and run mine and, Man, when I got done with it, I felt pretty dang good about things. <laughs> I was like, man, if, if somebody can do it better than that, then they can have it. And um, so, you know, Tuesday, the, the next week, 
John calls me and says, man, come on over here and let's have some lunch. Well, at that point, I just knew I had it. Like, I knew it. And um, rode over to, to, to Denver and we sit down and start talking. And he said, um, sounds like your test went really good. And, and the guys all liked you and, and all this and that. And I said, man, I, it felt good. I said, all those guys are really nice. And I felt like my run, you know, that I, I ran was, was really good. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I got all of it right here. And he said, Tracy was off of you and Clayton. And we're not really going to talk about that. And he said, Clayton's run his first 10 laps. He was a 10th of a lap faster than you for the first 10 laps. And he said, from like lap 20, uh, from lap 10 to like 25, you and Clayton were at the exact same speed. And from lap 25 or 30 till 60 or 70, I don't remember how many it was. He said, you're about two tenths a lap faster than Clayton. And I, I knew I, I, that's kind of how I felt about it too after my run. Um, so, you know, at that point inside, I'm just like, oh man, I've got this, I've got this. And, um, and then he turns around and says, but this is a family deal. We got the whole team together and we all just took a vote between you and Clayton and you lost the vote by one vote. Oh man. I was like, are you kidding me? And, uh, so Clayton ended up getting a deal and run part-time with Matt in that 17 car. And, you know, I think if Clayton was, you know, Clayton and I are still great friends, but if he was sitting here, he would agree with what I'm getting ready to say. It was almost the worst thing for both of us. Like I was to the age where I had to get in something or I was, you know, everybody was starting to look at me as being too old. Um, and Clayton was at the point where he was almost too young and I had always done everything for him from a car standpoint. Well, that 17 car, it operated different than a lot, you know, like Rust was the, the, the crew chief, but Matt told him everything to do all the time. You know, I, I would, you know, go to some of the races and listen to them on the radio and Matt would tell them, you know, what spring to put in and what sway bar to change to and where to move the track bar and what they're going to change before the race. And Clayton wasn't to that point to where he could do that. And it just ended up, you know, not working out throughout the year. I remember he qualified fifth at, at Kentucky one weekend. I was racing somewhere else and he called me and he said, what would you do before the race? And I said, if you're comfortable, I wouldn't do anything. And he said, well, Matt told him to raise the track bar on both sides, three quarters of an inch and put a rubber in the right rear because the track was going to get tight. Well, he run till about lap five or seven and spun out back in the fence and knocked the rear clip off. So, you know, those things, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't know what to tell him. And, um, it just ended up being bad for him. And, and what, you know, this, that one thing almost ruined my driving career. It almost ruined his driving career. So, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy how it all happened, but you know, I, I stayed after it. Uh, you know, I, I was still trying to, to do everything I could talk to people, um, you know, and, and, you know, was fortunate enough to actually get another opportunity with Herzog, you know, when Jimmy was getting out of that deal and, um, was able to go run an ASA race for them and, um, you know, was able Concord. to run with, yeah, over at Concord and Howie Leto was the, the crew chief and, you know, Howie, another guy that was just incredible. Um, but, you know, Howie had always run ASA cars. He was one of the best in the ASA garage. Well, here you go with a kid that, that's from Mooresville that has never seen an ASA car before. I, I knew nothing about him at all. 
and uh, they want me to come down to the bush shop and help put my seat in. So I went and put my seat in and Howie and those guys scaled the car out and we, um, there's no test day. There's no nothing. We're just going to show up and you're going to practice and you're going to qualify and you're going to race and we're going to see how you do. And, um, I was like, man, this is going to be nuts. And, you know, I was a nervous wreck. I had been, I'd been out of a car for like three months. I remember laying on my bed on my right side of my head, laying off the side of my bed for like, you know, hours at a time trying to get my neck strong enough to where it wouldn't give up in a 300 lap race. And, um, <laughs> and then, and then come to find out it's going to be 95 degrees and you're going to run 300 laps and around Concord, which all, you know, some people know Concord, you don't ever get a break, you know, it'll, it'll wear you out. Yeah. So we, uh, we went over there and went out and practice and, um, uh, yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, it was a little bit too tight and at the beginning of practice and he, uh, he put a rubber in the right rear and raised the right side track bar a little bit and, and we got better. And I kept telling Howie, I said, I know you're not going to believe me. I said, but it needs some right front spring in it, or it needs some sway bar in it. I said, it's rolled over on the right front and that's what's making it push. And he said, these cars don't work that way. And I said, well, I'm just telling you, Concord, it does work that way. And, you know, getting into three, if it rolls on the right front, it's not, it's not ever going to turn. And, um, he didn't want to believe me and we didn't change anything. And anyway, we qualified third and, uh, you know, I think Johnny Sauter was on the pole and qualified third right behind him and ran third. I mean, like the whole race and, um, and ended up having a, a right rear tire started leaking down and I started getting out of control and I probably should have said something before I did or just pitted, but I was trying to ride it out as long as I could and got loose getting into three and backed it in the fence. And, um, you know, that, that part kind of stunk, you know, it, you, it was such a good day and, you know, for a team that, you know, had a bush car and was looking for somebody to drive it and, and, um, you know, it just wasn't my day. And I, I, I did another thing wrong after that race. Uh, I was about to pass out when I got out of the car and I pulled my suit down and tied my, my arms around my waist. Like most of us do on a normal Saturday night. And, uh, when you're on television with TNN, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to have all your logos showing when yeah. you, when you talk, when you talk. So I did that wrong and I don't know, but how he <laughs> called me on uh, Thursday the next week. And he said, Hey, we had a couple people drive a car, Tuesday, a couple of people drive uh, Wednesday and a couple of people drive Thursday. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, he said, uh, two out of the six people we had said that it was rolled over on the right front. So I put 50 pounds of spring in the right front, picked up a tenth of lap. And then I put a bigger bar in it, picked up another tenth of lap. So you probably would have kicked Johnny's ass if he, if I'd have just listened to you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if I could back up a little bit, I mean, you guys became friends at some point yeah. right and so obviously we're talking i mean this asa race would have been in 2001 maybe is that is that does that sound yeah. about right yeah okay yeah, so in this time dale jr is now already a cup driver um back up and tell me about you guys i mean i know where you met but where did you guys become friends in in was that in high school yeah i mean in high school we we sat beside each other in drafting class and it was kind of funny because 
he would he would sit there and draw race car pictures and then he'd put my name above the door and uh, <laughs> oh my god and uh, I, it's, he, it uh, shocks me that you weren't in the in crowd i mean this is the now but it's all coming i'd draw cars racing and it'd be me and rodney we I, it, we were going to be <laughs> cup racers together. got it so he's basically yeah. doing paint schemes for the first I'm time i'm trying to br- i'm trying to bring that to reality hey as yeah. you would so okay he, y'all were drawing in what class is this Drafting. Drafting class. Drafting. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. And so that's where you guys became friends because he's basically drawing your race cars. Yeah. I mean, I remember when um, he was first putting that that first street stock together and um, he told me one day at school, he's like, I'm going to take that thing over to Concord if you want to go with us. And um, I'm like, yeah, I'll go. He's like, I'll pick you up. So uh, <laughs> he shows up with that open trailer in front of my house with a street stock on it, which I had never seen it before then. But, uh, so I didn't help with that at all. But, um, you know, he showed up in front of my house and he comes walking down the driveway and he said, Hey, you got an air tank and air gauge. I don't have one with me. <laughs> so of course I had that. So <laughs> I grabbed my air tank. He probably don't remember this. I do. I grabbed, I grabbed my air tank and my air gauge and we went to Concord and, uh, he goes out there practicing for a while and, it wasn't uh it wasn't long we realized that the the gears in the rear end weren't ever welded up and it was spinning one tire all the way down the straightaway oh, i heavens. believe um something like that i don't remember exactly but i remember him talking about that but um and then he went and run it a few more times and i remember going over there and uh beating the doors out on it um he, he needed a volunteer to hold a big four by four piece of wood threw the car up against the door while he hit it with a sledgehammer so and this is still how you, this is how you beat out cars today right i mean this is this is kind of how you do it right is this where you get the yeah. idea it was it was fun though but um but yeah i mean you know after that he got to racing a lot and honestly when i race and i'll go back to me just being quiet and and all that kind of thing i just raced and um you know, I, I didn't ever hang out with anybody. I just wanted to race and, and that kind of thing. And that kind of separated us a little bit. But every time he would win a bush race, I'd still show up over there. It was the always the, the Motown. <laughs> the Motown uh, uh, would have a little party every time he won a race. So I would show up over there. And and, uh, and then it'd be a, a couple time. of people that don't talk and that are shy. It's like a couple, no, of, we, a couple of mimes looking at each other, <laughs> t- looking at the race cars. You know what I remember? <laughs> you know what I remember about that day with the air tank? Is that we I busted the air tank? You remember that? Oh, you did. I don't. Well, it either it got to it either happened while we were at the track or rolling around in the bed of the pickup truck on the way home. But it not we knocked the top off of it and broke it. Oh, and I felt I so bad. You. I was like, damn, <laughs> he's got. I, we I ain't even got an air tank and a tire gauge, and I done broke his. Yeah. Yeah, we had some fun. But, uh, Go ahead. I remember you had. Uh, I think it was a New Year's Eve party or something. This was back in the back garage. Yeah. Um, one time. And I remember walking in this and you may not remember this one, but I walked in and as soon as I walked in, you and Matt were sitting there talking. And, uh, as soon as I walked up, Matt's like, Hey, and you said, Hey, and, and, uh, you looked straight over at Matt and you said, Hey, dumbass, that's the, that's the guy you should have put in that bush car. <laughs> and, <laughs> wow. And Matt's like, Oh, I know, I know, I know. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, just another did, one of them stories where should have, should have, could have gotten yes. a push ride. Did Matthew, did you call him for these notes? Uh, maybe. So okay. what, what's yeah. the egging? 
<laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, God, you don't remember no. that? No. So uh, we hopped in your little S10 truck one night, and you wanted to go to Kannapolis. And you had a friend that lived in Kannapolis over near your grandma somewhere. Walter, I don't remember. Monroe. Yeah. So you said, uh, we're going to go over there for a little while. And we show up at your grandma's house. You want to stop at your grandma's house. And you knock on the door, and nobody's there. And you said, oh, come on. I know how to get in. Well, we went through the back window of grandma's house. <laughs> and we're sitting on the couch when she walks in the door. <laughs> I scared her to death. But uh, we sat over there at your grandma's for a little while, and I got to meet her and all that. And then we went and picked up Walter. And then we went cruising in the Concord Mall parking lot, going round and round and round. <laughs> so... so there was these two girls walking down the sidewalk at the Concord Mall, and, and uh, of course, we were, like, you know, trying to talk to them and all this and that. Well, somehow, we got both of them in this little S10 truck, and there wasn't a whole lot of room in the no. S10 truck. So, there were three guys and two girls in the S10 truck. <laughs> it's a single cab S10 pickup no, truck. I, yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> So this Walter guy, you know, he's got somebody, one sitting on his lap, one sitting on my lap. So we, uh, we drive around for a little while and finally we realized that this wasn't going nowhere and we pull back in the mall and we pull up the sidewalk. Well, this one girl gets out and then I get out to, to try to help the, you know, the, the rest of the party get out of the, the truck, I guess you could say. So, so this other girl gets out. Well, about that time, you start taking off like you're going to leave me and the door's hanging wide open and I'm kind of running beside the truck and hop in. And it wasn't like 30 seconds later, blue lights pull up behind us oh. <laughs> and, and said, uh, the guy's like, you know, what, what were y'all doing? And he said, well, we were just dropping, uh, dropping them off. And he said, no, you weren't. You had the door hanging open, trying to get them in your truck. He had no clue what had really happened, but yeah. he was trying to blame he was trying to blame us on something that really didn't. Do you happen, remember none of this? None of this. What kind of life of crime do you leave? Uh, <laughs> it's like he remembers none of this. And uh, he wanted he wanted your license and registration or something like that. And you handed him your license, and he said, "Oh, y'all go ahead, <laughs> hand it right back to you." <laughs> oh. oh, come on! It is K Town. <laughs> Wow. But we, we ended up, after that, we went to a grocery store. Oh, no. And uh, we all split up. We all split up, the three of us. And I got, like, two cartons of eggs, and you got two cartons of eggs, and the other boy got two cartons of eggs, and we all went to three different cash registers. <laughs> and then, this lady, she said, I'm just going to tell you right now, I know what's going on here. And if there's eggs on my car, I can remember your face. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. we, we rode around and we didn't throw any eggs in anybody's cars, but we threw them at every stop sign and speed limit sign that we could come across going down the road. But uh, we didn't tear up anything. Yeah. Golly. I cannot believe you I, don't remember any of this. My cheeks are hurting so bad. <laughs> <laughs> we need Rodney just to come over here and tell us everything else that Dale Jr. doesn't remember about his life. <laughs> oh, my God. That is something. What is the chasing deer on Dad's land? God. So we were, we were over there beating them doors out on that street stop, and I had never been over there, and I was trying to look through the, the, the little window in the bush shop at one point, and you're like, don't, don't look over there. He said, if my dad sees you, he's going to get pissed. And uh, 
<laughs> no, it wasn't your dad. You said if somebody else saw me, they'd be pissed. And uh, anyway, we beat the doors out for a while, and everybody had left. It was in the afternoon, and everybody had left the shop. And and you said uh, you want to ride back through there and see the land, and I said yeah. And so we we this is also in the little S10. So we made we started that big circle back through the land, back yeah. through the property, and we were coming back, and about halfway back, um, there was deer everywhere. And uh, you're like, this is going to be good here. And I said, what? And he said, uh, I'm going to get out, and you slide over here and put it in drive, and when I tell you to go, you haul ass. So you, you got out of the truck, and you started walking up into the field a little bit, and all of a sudden you said, go. And I, <laughs> I, I floored it. Well, I floored it. Well, next thing I know, the deer are running straight at me and like jumping over the hood of this <laughs> S10. And I slammed on brakes. I slammed on brakes and stopped. And you're like, that was cool as hell, wasn't it? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> my God, that'll get you shot over there from what I heard. I mean, like that. Is that the people? Uh, is that the deer you want to be messing with? Not, not, not from what Daddy I know. Daddy would have really been pissed off. Bro. Oh yeah, he would have. Oh man, he would have. He would have shot both of us. Did you ever meet Dad? <laughs> no, I honestly didn't. Damn. Um, you know that was that was kind of a. To have been know, that was a that was a weird part. You know, like everybody always asked me, like, what was the first cup race you went to? And I said, well, the first cup race I ever went to was the one that I was uh, uh, interior guy on the '77 car. Yeah. And they're like, you never went to a cup race until you actually went working for a cup team. And I said, no, I used to go. Remember when they used to qualify over at uh, Charlotte, like on Wednesday yeah. nights, wasn't it? Oh, so wow. I would go over there and watch qualifying. You know, the guy I raced go-karts with, Mark Mode, we would go over there and race, I mean, watch qualifying. And um, what was the other class they ran after qualifying? Sportsman? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a scary deal. Yeah. But we would watch that. We would watch that sportsman race. But you know, I was racing every weekend, so I, I just I never got to go to any cup races. I, I would listen to them or watch them if I could, but I never actually went to any. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean that's yeah. not unusual for folks like you or me. I tell people to you know to their surprise all the time about the first Daytona 500 I ever saw was from starting in eighth place right in 2000. Right. I've yeah. never been to the Daytona 500 in my life till I drove in it. Mm. But that's crazy it is right but it's no different than you because you know you when you're i never went to did you go to like prom or dances or any of that stuff i was always racing or i at least used racing as an excuse not to go <laughs> i actually went to one prom I, I i missed one of them and went to one um and then my graduation i almost missed that we had a national up in liberty north carolina and was racing up there and and uh i had no intentions in going to my graduation i'd already said i'm not going to be there and um man these huge storms come rolling through uh up there and just tore everything up and rutted up the racetrack and they got you know they had just caught it off for the day so i hopped in my truck and went you know hauling butt back to, to mooresville and took a shower and went out and washed my truck because it had been at a dirt track for two days and uh went to my graduation and pulled in right when they were walking from the school out to the field uh you know behind Mooresville junior high back then you'd walk down to that field yeah i pulled in right there i already had my gown and stuff on plopped my hat on and got in line and walked down to the field but um but yeah i wasn't into all the the dances I didn't even. i'm surprised you got the two girls in that pickup truck uh I, like knowing that kind of I game y'all lacked i know 
I am surprised too that we had any any interactions with girls. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure y'all talk Especially about. In a, three guys riding in an S10. I mean, right. we had to literally been hip, hip in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, want to get in? want to get in? Absolutely. Scoot <laughs> on uh, over. Yeah. Uh, and you know the three of us had no game at all, no. so I don't know how that happened. Well, we ended up, th- we ended up buying eggs <laughs> later that night, so yeah. that's how much game <laughs> we had. <laughs> hey, does Mooresville High – do you guys have any interactions with them? I mean, you guys are both very successful, and and I, I, maybe school? it's yeah, Mooresville High School. I mean, maybe there's others at Mooresville High. Maybe it just they're they're numb to, you know, being in right in the middle of the NASCAR world. But like, um, you know, you you won a championship. You're a championship crew chief. You know, you've got all your success. I mean, do you guys uh, are you at least in a trophy case back at Mooresville? Oh, any, anybody's Hall of Fame or something? No. no, I don't think so. Man, nothing. There's no reunions. Nothing. Our class doesn't have. Our class hasn't nah. had a reunion. It's crazy. We, oh my god. We haven't either. If yeah. y'all did have a reunion, though, I would you go. got to get an S10. <laughs> I've had the S10. Roll. You do. I have it. He's got the S10. You guys just roll on in. Find somebody else to pile three in wide. that truck. It's got to be three wide. It's got to be three wide. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Rodney, you know, at what point in your career as a crew chief? Does it? Did you ever sort of come to terms with your driving career? Is there times, I guess, now, even today, when you get caught sort of thinking and daydreaming a little bit about you know those times and and how you miss it or how what could have been or what you wish it would have became? Um, and it's it's totally got to it's it's completely human to do that. But I wonder, you know, because let me say, I think the world of you as a crew chief as a mechanic, as a mastermind of, of cars and, and how to make them work and how to make fast race cars. It's not an easy thing to do, and you're one of the best at it. But one of the things that I know a lot of people don't know and what we've tried to highlight on this show is what kind of talent you were behind the wheel and really what you, you, know, what you were capable of. You could have, you could have been, had the, had the brakes fall in the right way, a regular in the Winston Cup Series. And so I wonder, you know, how how you deal with that. You know, do you think about it like that? Does do you feel like you could have made it that far? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think some of it. Um, in, in the early years, I, I did think about it. Um, you know, there were still some people that were racing in the truck series and different things that I had raced with growing up, and I'm like, how in the world did I not get a ride? And those people are still out there racing and. Um, you know, and I, I mean that in the utmost respect too. And I think that they would say that about me too. And, um, you know, it just, it just, you know, honestly that, that year before I finally went to work for a cup team, it was, it was dark, uh, for me, you know, I, 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 I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing very good and just really depressed and, uh, just things weren't going the way that I want them to go. And, and, um, you know, I was, you know, God how old was I at that time? I was almost 25 years old or something like that. So, you know, making, uh, $250 a week at 25 years old, it, it's, there comes a time when you're going to have to do something different. And, um, you know, so when I first started, you know, cup racing, um, I honestly didn't think about it a lot. Um, you know, my first cup job was underneath, you know, uh, Dave Blaney racing and I'd always watched Dave race and respected Dave. And, 
Um, and it wasn't but a couple of weeks, and Dave loved me. And he knew what I was about and how much I wanted to win and how hard I wanted to work. And um, honestly, I think he that helped me because he kept you know pushing me up the ladder as much as he could. And uh, he kind of got run out of that car, you know, at the end of that year. And, and uh, Penske bought that team and, and Brendan gone came in. And the same thing happened with Brendan. Brendan, you know, within just a month or two, you know, Brendan loved me and, and knew uh, what I was about. And I started car chief in that car. And, and um, you know, everybody, and it was people like Dale and people that knew me growing up that knew, you know, what I was about. And, um, you know, that's, that's what led me to where I am today is, is those relationships and stuff. And, you know, when I was car chief in that, that 77 car for, for Penske, um, it was Scott Riggs that called, wanted me to come over there and be his car chief at, at MB2 and MBV. And, um, you know, so that, you know, I remember going to that job interview with Doug Randolph and, and, um, you know, I told my wife, I said, uh, she said, you're not going to take that, are you? Don't you think you need to stay at Penske? And I was like, yeah, I probably do. And I was like, I guess if they offer me this amount, I would do it. And it was like 20, 25% more than what I was making. And um, so Doug offered me 25% more than what I was making. I went back home and I told my wife, I was like, I guess I'm going over there. This is what he offered me. And she goes, oh, God, yeah, you got to go over there. So I went over there and, you know, working with Scott, um, you know, they, they had not run very good. Um, and man, when I got over there, everything was messed up. I mean, you would, you would travel the car and look at the sway bar arms and hums and the spring alignment and all that stuff. And it was horrible. Like everything was bound up and, uh, the car couldn't travel. It couldn't work. And, um, you know, fixed all that before we even got the season started and went down there and we finished, um, I think third in the Daytona 500. We went to Atlanta and run top five. We went to Vegas, run top five. I mean, we were knocking out top fives, you know, every week and um and then it kind of got to a dead spot there in the season and it wasn't because of the people it wasn't because doug was doing a bad job or anything like that it was really because of the rotation of the cars looking back on it and you know that's stuff i know now but i didn't know them but you, know, you kept running the same car and the body keeps getting messed up a little bit more and more and the, you know the front clip gets you know mileaged out and all that stuff well all because it was a good car we just ran it every week and it finally just started falling apart and, um, but you know, things just led one thing to another and, and it come about June, I, I guess we were going to Pocono and they called me in the office and said I was going crew chief. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I don't think I was re even ready for that, but we started car chief, I uh, started crew chiefing and, and, um, been crew chiefing ever since it's been a long time now, but, um, you know, it was Scott Riggs that started that. And, um, and it was because of late models. It was because of the things that we had done uh, against each other and together throughout my, my, my life that, that got all that going. But, but Rodney, back to Dale's question, like at what point, by the time you became, by the time you went to MB2, had you already come to terms with it? With, with, with now you're on a trajectory that seems that you have, you're, you're making, you know, 25% more and you're, you, now you're making some money that, uh, that can support your family. Is that what helped you come to terms and sort of put some finality to the to the driving career, or did you ever get to a point of finality? You know, I, I don't think I ever sat on a team, on a pit box, and 
thought to myself that I could do better than that person. Okay. I will say that up front. I never, I never felt that way. It was always the other people that were in like the truck series and stuff that I'm like, how's that guy still racing? Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't ever that I thought that I could hop in there and drive better than Brendan gone or better than Scott Riggs or anything like that. And, and honestly, I think some of that had come to terms even before I started racing, uh, in the cup series, because I knew the reason I won a lot of races is because I worked on my stuff all the time and I understood it. Um, you know, and, and helping people like Clayton and, and, uh, all the other people that I helped, uh, kind of crew chief, you know, like, um, you know, even though it was go-karts, it was still kind of crew chief. And then you were picking out what tires you were going to put with those guys and, and what stagger there was, and you were coaching them on how to drive. And, um, that, that part of my life, got me prepared to, to go do that stuff. And actually it was a friend of mine named Scott Munsgaard. He was, he was a shock guy and, uh, he had, he had owned his own shock business and, and got people, you know, running gas shocks in late miles, you know, before that, everybody wanted to just run, you know, 61 series careers. That was a, a monotube shock. And, uh, but anyway, Scott pulled me aside one day and wanted to go to lunch and, he said, look, he said, I know you're struggling right now. I can see it on your face. And me and him were, were great friends at the time. And he knew I was struggling. And he said, look, you just need to go work for a cup team. He said, I've been on a cup team for three years now. He was at Jasper at the time. He said, you're smarter than anybody there. Mm. And he said, there's no reason that you can't succeed doing something other than driving. He said, you just need to, you need to look at different Avenue. And at that time I had just met Katrina and, you know, realizing that I did need to make money. And, and, uh, so, you know, to answer your question, I, I kind of got over it to begin with and, and wanted to just go make money and wanted to win races a different way. And, um, I never went back and I haven't run a single late model race ever since. And I was going to ask you, uh, what's, what's the last time you raced? I think, uh, I think maybe a couple years into it. Um, Mark wanted me to go run a big money champ cart race down in Carnesville, Georgia. And we went and did that. Uh, and finish third but um you know other than that i, I still go ride some go-karts over at gopro but i i haven't raced at all um you know i i could have you know with what i've done throughout my career yeah i could have paid somebody and got the best car and go run late model race every now and then but that's not that's just not me i i, I don't really have any interest in it you know me and you have talked about just running laps at hickory on a yeah. test day and stuff that would be, that would be fun, but man, just going out there and taking a chance on getting hurt or, or doing something right now probably isn't the right thing for me. Um, you know, trying to win another cup championship and trying to win cup races is, is the most important thing. How many more, uh, how many more years do you think you got as a crew chief and not to not, I'm not trying to rush you into retirement. My, my question really is about what's next. Cause you're not, you're certainly not just a championship crew chief there's got to there's there's more you know you're 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 overqualified almost for that role at this particular point in your life what's next for you and 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 do you do you even think about that do you even think about like having an opportunity to, to to run an organization or manage a shop um you know manage a team from the top yeah i, I really don't know yet um you know i've went through different swings uh when i was at waltrip um you know, we were doing the, the part-time deal with, with, uh, Mark and, and Vickers and, and, um, Michael. And 
I kind of got to the point then that I was, um, you know, when I knew Mark wasn't going to run anymore and, and all that, I was man, I, I'm kind of the point that I just want to stop and I'll do some kind of management role or I'll do something like that. And, um, and then that's kind of when the opportunity come about with Kevin and that, you know, the, the deal with Kevin completely changed things and, uh, my, my outlook and, and, uh, all that stuff. So, you know, right now I want to win races as long as he wants to win races and I want to win championships as long as he wants to win them. Um, you know, when he's done, I don't know what I'll do because hmm. I think, you know, I, I think we have something that it's just hard to come by and, um, I don't think it'll ever be the same, you yeah. know, uh, you know, if, if I had to say a person that, um, that I would want a crew chief after Kevin, it would probably be Blaney just because I started my career with mm. Blaney. And, um, you know, I, I love that family and, and all that, that goes on there. And, um, and I, you know, Ryan probably thinks the same thing, but, um, I don't know. I used to think I wanted Zippy's job, and now I look at it and I'm like, man, I don't want his job. Heck <laughs> <Dang> with that. <laughs> Who wants that so, job, right? Um, and then, you know, you look at the NASCAR side of it, and it's like, you know, would you want to go to the NASCAR side of it? And some days I'm like, yeah, it would be cool because I think I could help things. I could yeah. help the sport. Uh, and then other days I'm like, man, I don't want it in the middle of that. Right. So, um, you know, it, you know how it is. Things change over and over. I'm not the, I'm not the personality the to probably be on radio or TV and all that. And I'm not the Latart <laughs> of the crew chief and, uh, deal, but, um, you know, I just, I just want to work and, uh, you know, I want to make money and want to have a good family and, and enjoy life. And, um, you know, I've tried to, to, to do a little bit more of that lately, but, uh, you know, it's still about winning races. Yeah. Um, I could see you a cup series director or something like that. That'd be pretty incredible. You know, some of the best years the sport I ever saw was when, the garage was governed by uh, crew chiefs, oh, you know, retired crew chiefs like uh, oh, yeah, Gary Nelson. Go, yeah, they go to work for NASCAR. Yeah, I mean, you knew you weren't getting – you knew that oh, everything yeah. was going to be yeah. on the up and up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Rodney Childers would work for NASCAR one day, running run the garage. Is that what you're suggesting? If they if they can afford it. Hey, let, let's <laughs> – if they can afford it, right. 25% more than what he's making now. That's that's hey, what we saying, know. going to be cheap. You want the best. you got to pay for it. And a cart of eggs. <laughs> Hey, Rod. Okay, let, let's let's keep down this hypothetical road because this is going to tell me something. I, I could ask you what what makes you and Harvick work so well, but I'll ask it a different way. Let's say you do get this other opportunity and you are now leaving, at least the crew chiefing role, and you can handpick somebody to be Harvick's crew chief. What is your piece of advice for that person on how to make it work with Kevin Harvick? Um, I, I think the biggest thing is is, um, you kind of got to be opposites in a way. Um, you know, you can't, you can't argue with each other and you can't, uh, butt heads and, you know, people make fun of me because he'll say something on their, on their, you know, radio that's, um, you know, this blankety blank thing won't turn and I would just say 10, four, <laughs> um, you know, like I listened, I listened to them a little bit on the radio before I took the job and, he would say something smart and Gil would say something smart. And then it would turn into a five minute battle of, of yeah. who's right. Like you're just wasting time. You're, you're wasting laps and you're wasting time and everything else. So, um, I don't know. I mean, you just can't we, argue. You, you can't argue and you got to be productive. You got to work hard and, and, uh, you got to want the same things. And, and I think he knows that I want the same thing that he wants. I want to win. I want to be the fastest in practice. I want to qualify on the front 
front row and, and win the race and win championships. And, um, you know, to finish fifth, that, that sucks to me. And, um, I've always been that way. And, um, I know people tell me all the time, you need to enjoy it a little bit more, but, um, you know, it, it takes me a day to get over finishing fifth yeah. and, um, that's just the way I am. Well, and, and he's the same way. What, what is it? All right. Remove Harvick from the equation. What does a pissed off Rodney Childers look like? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 what has to happen to get you to that point? Surely you've been mad, and surely you have expressed anger, right? We've just never seen this. Yeah, and, you know, for me, it's um, I was always one of those that had like this weird line in the sand where all of a sudden I just completely flipped out. Like I was calm and and everything is going good, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, it's like a complete bomb goes off. And you're like, what in the world just happened? And um, that, that's kind of how I always was. Um, it was almost too bad at one point in my life. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I would throw something and break something. and, and um, But, it, it, you know, it would take a lot to get me there. But, um, but yeah, I, I could get pretty mad. And um, But since then, man, I've grown up. I, I let <laughs> things glide off my shoulder a little bit and uh, realized over the years that, some things aren't, aren't worth it. You know, you just gotta, gotta move on and worry about the things that you can control and, and, uh, keep going. Well, Rodney, this has been a great conversation. I learned so much. Uh, you know, we've known each other a long time, but you are quiet and I've learned a lot today about able yourself. To, able to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, hey man, I've ran, I've ran pretty hard. All right. I've forgotten. I've He's forgotten, got some stories. I've forgotten a lot. Um, <laughs> When you run as hard as I do, you don't retain that stuff. Like yeah, Rodney you don't does. even yeah. want to, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but, man, we appreciate you coming on the show. People are going to love hearing this part of your life, and uh, people know you as this you know, this, this championship crew chief that's one of the best at the top of the sport right now, but what they're going to learn about your life and how you got there is so important to your story. So I'm glad we can bring it to them. Um, you're going to love uh, the reaction that you get from the fans and the support. Uh, I can tell you that. Uh, but thanks for uh, thanks for giving us some time today. I know that you uh, you know as one of the best uh, busiest crew chiefs in the sport, you don't have a lot of time to do things like this. That's right. So thank you, and uh, we'll see you at the racetrack hopefully very soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I mean, y'all's podcast is, is definitely the best out there, in my opinion. I listen to it every week on the airplane flying to the racetrack. So. Y'all have had some tremendous people on there, and um, it's fun to listen to. So keep up the good work. Well, you were one of them, buddy. Thank you for coming on, and uh, good luck this weekend in Michigan. I'll be in the booth. Uh, That's going to be pretty interesting, two back-to-back days of cup racing from that racetrack. Uh, But have some fun and and enjoy it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display, 
On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the Hall today at NASCARHall.com. Okay, y'all know what time it is. We are live. This is the Ask Junior portion of the podcast where I'll answer the questions that you sent in. It's all brought to you by Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR and our podcast. And your partner for fast internet. Um, so we got some great questions. I hope Leah's on on the on the line with you guys and, and getting your questions in. So let's get started. All right. First question is coming in from Dave Phillips. He wants to know um, how much will I racing at the Daytona Road Course help the drivers prepare for the races there next weekend? And how does I racing differ from the Sims that the teams have? So the Sims that the teams there's a lot of different things. Uh, so, so I racing obviously is something you can you can do at home. If uh, I was going to race at the uh, road course at, at uh, Daytona, I would probably spend at least one day, um, you know, anywhere from four to eight hours on I racing's uh, version of that track. Uh, I think one day would be enough. If you wanted to put a little more time in, you could. And, re- and preferably like right before you go to the racetrack. So it can be very helpful, and I'll use a, an example of that. I'd never been to Road Atlanta as far as driving around the track. I never raced around it, never practiced, tested there or anything. Jimmy Johnson had a two-day test back when we were teammates, and he had to leave on the second day and go somewhere. So they called me and said, hey, can you come run this car? We got some simple things that we need to accomplish that, you know, it, we just need a driver and you'll, you'll do, you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, so I spent the day, uh, before that on iRacing running road Atlanta and I showed up to get in Jimmy's car. I was really nervous. Uh, you know, Chad is a, is a Chad Canals is pretty intimidating as a crew chief. Doesn't put up with anything. Definitely doesn't like to be slow. So, um, even in a test, I felt a little pressure to go out there and put forth a really good effort. And I hit the track, and in the in the first run on the racetrack, I was very, very close within a tenth or two of Jimmy's time and right on top of his lap times uh, in the next in the second run and literally hadn't been there an hour. And I got out of the car, and I'm messing around on my phone, and one of the engineers walks up and goes, um, so where did you get where, – where, where have you uh, – when did you get laps here? And I was like, I've never ran here. He's like, that's what I heard, but I don't believe it. I was like, never ran here before. I've only ran – on iRacing the last, you know, the day before for about four or five hours. I'm telling you, uh, had I not spent that day on iRacing, it would have taken me at least two hours to learn the track and get up to speed. Uh, so we didn't have to waste time doing that. So that's a great example of how you can use iRacing or um, even the team uh, or the organ or the manufacturer's simulators the drivers do. They they take in and, and use either iRacing or the manufacturer simulators to learn these tracks that they've never been to. Uh, now, if you've if you've been to a racetrack, it's not quite as useful. It's just for fun. 
Um, but when, especially when you're going to road courses for the first time, it can be an incredible tool. The sims that the teams have are basically programs that run on a, on a, on a tablet or your computer, and it's basically um, there's no driving. You plug in a setup, you push a button, and the program runs laps with that setup and tells you how the car is going to handle, where the wedge is and where how the wedge changes through the corner, and it gives it to you in graph form. And um, if, you, if your driver comes in and says, basically, uh, engineer will run sim all week. He'll basically start the program with their baseline setup that they're going to show up with at the racetrack. And the crew chief may give him a list of things that he would like to ask the simulation to try. Raising the track bar, more right rear spring, a, a, a unique shock for the left front. The engineer will will change all of those components one at a time in the simulation and let the simulation run it. The simulation will spit out data that says, this change is going to tighten the car up in the middle of turn three or four. This change is going to loosen the car up getting into turn one. And he'll, you know, the, the engineer has that information that the sim's telling him. So when they go to the track and the driver drives a car and says, hey, I'm tight off of turn two, well, we've got something that sim says will fix that. So let's put that in. Hopefully it works. So that's what the simulations that the teams own, that's how they function. I had no idea. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Next question is from Blake Webster. What college football team do you pull for? Roll Tide, question mark. Tar Heels. Yeah. Mac Brown, back in as a coach of the Tar Heels. I actually got to go and meet him last year. Uh, pretty excited about the direction they're going. Uh, I've was a Steve Spurrier fan because when he was a coach at Florida, I he sent me a couple autographed footballs. I, I wasn't a fan of Florida, didn't hardly know really who Steve Spurrier was, but these footballs are showing up in my office way back in like 98, 99, 2000. And so I kept them. I thought that was very nice, very cool. Uh, I'm going to keep these. Actually, uh, I'm going to watch uh, Steve Spurrier coach. And, you know, he uh, – gets hired by Washington in the NFL and which is my favorite team that's incredible uh didn't quite work out like we'd hoped it was fun uh but didn't succeed uh and and then he goes and coaches South Carolina who um coincidentally had been coached by Lou Holtz who I had asked to come speak at DEI when dad passed away Dad passes away in Daytona, and I was like, I got to get this company fired up about the year. Somebody told me Lou Holtz can do that. I got Lou to come in. He talks to the company. I'm like, you know what? This man's cool. I'm going to start watching the Gamecocks. I become a Gamecocks fan. We actually had Gamecocks uh, 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 recruited one of the players from Mooresville, local high school that I went to. I got to watch that. I got to see how he does. Local guy from Mooresville. Um, so I'm watching the Gamecocks and then that's where Spurrier goes. I'm like, well, this is great. So I'm kind of a Gamecocks fan. I'm a Steve Spurrier fan. So I was a big fan of theirs for a long time. Then when Spurrier left, I had to go back, uh, I think, and, and take my allegiance to, uh, Carolina Blue Tar Heels. So yeah, long story. Sorry if I was rambling, but that's where it's at. We got a gift. All right. Oh yeah. This is my college, uh, helmet right there. This one is a 
Is this yeah. for Mike? This is for me. That's yeah. For yeah. Mike? That's for yeah. Mike. Yeah. Okay. That's for me. And this is for you. Okay. From Lenny Bowler's kid. Thank you. Look at that. Yep. Very cool. <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> you told me about this, Mike. This is nice. Well, tell people like what it? this is. This is a, a helmet that Georgia Southern University sent me. That's where I went to college for about 12 years. And uh, this is a, I don't know, man. It looks sporty, man. It's I awesome. just love it. I like it. that flat blue. Yeah, it, that's new. That's that's something that they didn't have back when I was there. <laughs> yeah. But um, we're gonna put it in here somewhere, man. I mean, this uh, there's this like isn't the only helmet. The so. old school number on the helmet. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That's uh. So I was really appreciative of that. Heck yeah. We're college football right. people around here. Yeah, I got about eighty helmets. College football. You helmets. do have a lot of helmets. That's right. Yeah, I don't. But this have one. It, this one is not <clears throat> eighty one. I don't have one of those. <laughs> You ain't getting this one. <laughs> Go ahead, Leah. Next question from Jeremy Tussie. Who was your very first crew chief, like back in the late model days? Uh, Gary Hargett was the guy that was my first crew chief. Dad put me together with Gary when when I got out of street stocks and went into late models. I ran street stocks for a year, Legends cars for a year, and then, then ran into late models. And Gary owned a car down in Union County, South Carolina, or uh, – around Pageland, Marshville is actually where Gary lived, um, home of Randy Travis. Um, there used to be a sign when you drove into Marshville. It said, home of Randy Travis. Anyhow, Gary, and if you look at old pictures of my dad, there's this one picture of dad driving this white number eight Nova back in 1976, and it says on the door, Gary Hargett's Auto Parts. And um, actually, uh, Gary helped my dad as a, as a you know, a crew chief in a way, or a mechanic. Uh, he also worked with um, Harry Gant. When Harry Gant drove the Orange 77 in the Sportsman Series in the 70s, uh, Hargett worked on that car. Um, he, But he was in racing all his life. Uh, also, he was a big, he was a pig farmer and, and just a hardworking guy. But Dad put me with him, said, hey, I think Gary can help you craft you into a driver, and and away we went. We raced at Myrtle Beach, and um, I, which is closing sadly. We raced at Florence I ninety five Speedway. We go to Nashville uh, Fairgrounds uh, every once in a while, and uh, but we had a lot of fun. And uh, Gary's still around. I don't know that he's in racing uh, these days, but he was a bit. He was like a grandfather to me. And then I had to make the decision to leave, which is another long story, but. Uh, that was my first crew chief. It was a big, big impact on my life. All right, guys, that's it for today. All right, that's some great questions. Really, really good. You got to be fast in this sport, and Xfinity knows a thing or two about that. With Xfinity, get blazing fast Wi-Fi without any pit stops. Xfinity X5 delivers the speed, coverage security, and control that you need to stay connected to NASCAR and Dirty Mo Media all season long. This is beyond Wi-Fi. This is X5. Keep your questions rolling in at, at Xfinity Racing and at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter using hashtag AskJunior for a chance to have your questions answered by Dale Jr. himself. We're proud to partner with Xfinity, keeping us connected to the sport all season long. Shout out to Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR. All right. Out it up. Odd history. I've had some radio issues back in the day, Mike. It's yeah. common with any driver you're going to get in the car and – Things just don't work, right? Radios, uh, they go way back in our sport, but the history isn't exactly perfect, all right? The 1975 World 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway was the first time that David Pearson and the Wood Brothers 
decided to use a radio during a race. They were starting on the pole, but realized on the pace laps that they had a huge problem. The team, they bought their radios from an IndyCar team and found out that the frequency used was the same one that Bud Moore and his team were using. Dope. Well, this meant throughout the race that Pearson and the Wood Brothers had to share the radio with Bud Moore's team and Bud's driver, Buddy Baker. And that gave both teams a lot of problems. At one point, Bud Moore called Baker on the pit road, and David Pearson came anyways. (laughs) He thought the call was for him, and the Wood Brothers just sat there confused when he showed up in the pit (laughs) stall. That forced Pearson to go back out on the track without any service whatsoever. The first time the Wood Brothers ever didn't service their car when it came in the pits (laughs) right they're still usually chomping at the bit but there is a positive the drivers thought it was funny that they could talk to each other and at one point pearson was able to thank baker for letting him pass that's very cool pearson finished third baker finished fifth so overall it wasn't a bad day although at the time leonard wood wasn't happy with all the confusion and said that they might go back to using the old chalkboard instead of radios (laughs) <laughs> or just think to check which frequencies other others are using and pick a different frequency. Chalkboard. Thank you for not picking on my uh, title. I was so shocked that you I didn't. didn't read it. Oh my gosh! As a music fan, I thought I did that for you. That's pretty good. I love REM. He said, "What's your frequency? What's your frequency, Kenneth? Kenneth?" That's a good song. Uh, they have not every, a fan of that band, but all, that's a great song. I love yeah, REM. Music, I don't know why I never liked music. them. Last call. Last call. Last call. We're wrapping up the show with uh, Darlington on the horizon. The throwbacks are going to start popping up on social media, and we've got an announcement of our own for Junior Motorsports. A special throwback scheme on Daniel Hemrich's number eight car, John Andretti. And I'm telling you, man, it's a good looking car. That's right. Go check it out. There's a video. Uh, on our Dirty Mo Media YouTube page, uh, JR Motorsports uh, will let you know all of the significance to this paint scheme and why Daniel and the guys wanted to choose it. But um, just a really cool car. Uh, a lot of times they try to go and do these throwbacks, and they, some of them kind of miss the mark when they get a little bit uh, this com- complex because this is a unique design. A lot Man, of detail. Is, the video does tell a good story. There's by no, the way. yeah, a lot of detail went into it. And there's an Easter egg there I gave you on the desk. On the car. On the desk? On the desk. Right there. There it is. There it is. Right there. Yeah. Lost Speedways. If you haven't seen Lost Speedways, shame on you. I know, right? (laughs) No excuses. And I know the Canadians are sitting there carrying on, and I I get it. I Roku people and the Fire Stick people. Listen, you're talking about problems that are way out of our control, but you can find ways. Somebody on social media says on PlayStation now? Yeah, PlayStation and yeah. Yeah, and Xbox, yeah. I think. PlayStation, and yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. You ever heard that, that yeah. uh, service? Have you yeah. played yeah? Have you ever played I something been on, on yeah? No. No. Yeah. But that's coming. Yeah, I'm sure. No, yeah. no not, not no. Yeah. Yeah. We should... Yeah, never mind. We should mute Dilmer. Um, <laughs> so anyways, Lost Speedways, go to you know Peacock TV, which is the streaming platform for NBC. Mm-hmm. It's free to watch our show. Just download it. And watch it. It's that simple. And binge it. Enjoy it. You can watch all eight episodes at once. And from the positive feedback that we've gotten, we are already brainstorming. We are brainstorming. On what tracks we want to do for our next season. A lot of people asking for more. Mm -hmm. You know, leave them wanting more, they say. 
I like the I like the short eight episode. It, it is. It feels it's not right. Too much, yeah. Right. There can be too much. What would be too many lost speedways? Sixteen episodes in a season would be too many. Sixteen would be 13, way too many. Oh, you're, you're yeah. twelve. Anything more? I wouldn't be able to work on There is no such number. I don't number. know why I like eight so much. It's just a good I, round number. I don't know why you would like eight. I don't know why. I have no idea. Eight's uh, a good what's round a new number. number. I don't know. Have you guys heard any negative feedback yet? None. Besides the is Canadians. Is that not amazing? Besides the Canadians. No, no. That, that doesn't well, count. Not about from people that have seen it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. People that have you. seen it and say, I have literally, like, I, I, the show belongs in the Smithsonian <laughs> because I have not seen a piece of <laughs> negative feedback. Even on Twitter? Hello, on Twitter social like media, and that has never happened. All right, Mike. Humanity. Let's let's go um, <laughs> to our Dirty Mo Media Twitter handle and say we need some feedback on Lost Speedway. Negative only, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Negative feedback. Right, only. right. We'll block you if it's positive. Yes. Do it. Yeah, I'd like to hear if there's any constructive criticism. Yeah, well, you know, we, I know I'm well, going to don't you guys. because I still it would hurt our feelings. No, it, there, <laughs> no. I think everybody understands to be sarcastic. I yeah, you know, you fun. see that it like, could be fun to read it next week. You know what's popular on social media is uh, you post a picture and say, "What is this driver?" Wrong only, only wrong answers, yeah. please. That is yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh well. Well, look. Yes, go watch Lost Speedways. It's it's uh, and watch it again if you've already. Yeah, seen I'm it. not kidding about the social media posts. Hey, Leah, do you hear us? Mike, you think I'm joking? I, I hope you're you. joking. That would be funny. It it would why be until we, it's not. Why do we care? Oh, are you you're talking? Wait, wait, who Dale, is talking Dale, right now? Leah doesn't are do it. You do it. Dale Jr. Hold would be on. so upset if people would be like, "Listen, wait. what if the Leah has criticism was? What if it was like, <laughs> I love Lost Speedways, but I cannot take the damn Earnhardt guy." Fine. <laughs> that's not. You know that's not going to happen, right? I know. You know who that's that is like be. the nicest thing See, that but anybody that's why, has said to me on Twitter. That's why he's all about it. But like, we would be taking shots like, "God, Dillner will not shut up." That's or Flagman in, in Okinichi. Not, people not named Dillner. If you go into it knowing that they're being sarcastic, oh yeah, you know I take gotcha. it so personal, Mike. I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, Maybe listen. you should do it on your social. I'm happy to. I wouldn't want to take liberties with all of our show on my social media handle. I, fig- I figured, if anything, we could post it on Dirty Mo Media's Twitter handle. No. Okay. Leah, what, what, what were you going to say since we cut you off? Yeah. Hey, let me, go, let me go encourage people to talk about not only me, but all, everyone else in the room <laughs> on my Twitter handle. That's not very nice. It does not sound like fun for me to read. Oh, yeah, I that's right. Right. You know what? That's the thing. That's day, right. Every day. Leah probably has seen a lot of negative stuff, and she's like, no, so y'all I, don't know what you're asking for. No, I actually haven't seen anything negative on Lost Beauty. That's the joke. Just about everything else. That is but. the joke. What happens? All right. What does happen? How do we know what happens? When you go on Twitter looking to get negative feedback. Maybe, maybe the opposite happens. Maybe something really nice comes out of maybe it. Maybe we change the world. Maybe we change the world or change social media. Yeah, I've, the the nicest part of social media is not being on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair, Mike. <laughs> Coming uh, from the social media person. I love it. Hey, did we ever hire one? Hire what? Up there. A social media person? <laughs> I don't know. Have we hired a social media person? No, I was helping them this morning. Yeah. Huh. Oh, are you talking about Junior? I thought yeah, you were about yeah, Leah. Yeah. This gets gonna. Mike. <laughs> well, no, that's what I, I listen. Dale Junior's full of jokes today. Apparently, we're going opposite day. We're gonna go ask for negative feedback and wonder if we've had any. Have we ever hired a social media person? Okay. Would it be fun if we went on there and said, 
uh, we're look, give us some give us some feedback on lost speedways. Wrong answers only. Would y'all be okay with that? I think on the it's junior awesome. motorsports yeah. handle. No, on the dirty <laughs> mo media. Let's handle. do it. Just for fun. Yeah. How about some? Hey Dude. guys, how's how's how you enjoying lost speedways? Wrong answers only. <laughs> that could be funny. We've only right. heard positive. Leah, help us. Leah, help go us ahead feel bad about out there. We'll Don't see what get happens. Too nervous, Leah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's gonna have to she, leave. She's, got, she's, she's, she, she's <laughs> muted herself, or she's she's cut it off already. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. What are the what are the uh, Leah's an ostrich right now? <laughs> Do you need a degree? Um, you know the the. The job for social media guy out there for Junior Motorsports. Do you have? Do you? Is, is it helpful to have a degree? Would you I, hire somebody that didn't have a degree? Uh, well, I would say now they're having like social media specific schools uh, in colleges and stuff. I've never really personally. I mean, are? like Leah, what was your major in college? My major was in PR, and then I right. had uh, minors in journalism and advertising because mm. yeah, social media was just like you know. Facebook had just started. Like I remember get, signing up for Facebook when I got to college, um, so it wasn't a big thing when I was in college. So I just kind of learned as I went. By the way, you talk about what seems like the easiest course through college would be majoring <laughs> in social media. <laughs> God, it's not an easy profession. I'm not saying it's an easy profession. Ugh. I'm just saying you know taking classes in social media. Hmm. It ain't algebra. I'd kind of be interested to see like what they're teaching. Like, you know what it ought to be? It's it, the social media classes ought to be the same as law classes. Like literally, right? Like, like, like uh, so you can't just hire like kumbaya. You can't like, just hire like any yoga street. Well, we've done it. <laughs> we've done it before, but somebody hey, just hey, with a cool per- which, somebody with just a fun jovial personality. Our very work. first full time social media person is now in law school. Dang, do y'all remember Davis oh, Williams? Wow. Mm-hmm. First name Davis. Yeah. Yeah. He was a producer on the show. Him. He was one of the first producers of the show. Yeah, and he's now in law school. So that's what that's what you have to look forward to, Mr. Court. <laughs> Judge Wapner. Oh, well, um, <laughs> speaking of reviews, we have one. Apple Podcast Review. Want some positivity? Let's hear it. <laughs> Come on. Lurkin' Tom, he says, <laughs> he says, wicked good. Did I say that right? Damn New Englander. Wicked. Wicked good. It's wicked good. <laughs> the music entries and mashups are amazing, and I love them every time. It's always something different. This is the best NASCAR-based podcast there ever was. Wasn't a uh, particular fan of Junior when he raced, but man, he's got to be my favorite person in the racing world right now. Also, I like how the first winner of any motorized race in U.S. history, yeah, he was a Massachusetts driver from a Massachusetts team using Valvoline and inflated tires. This guy really listens. Wicked sick. Wicked sick. Oh, and please get Bobby Labonte on this podcast. I've been trying, guy. They just won't hear me. I would love to hear you talk with Bobby Labonte. Please get Bobby Labonte. We're going to put him on. We're going to get okay. him on. Well, now that Lurkin' Tom has finally spoke up, I guess he'll be on here next week. Listen to Lurkin' Tom. Yeah. I've been asking for a couple months. Yeah. All it took was a review. You don't matter. I mean, it's Lurkin' Tom. Thanks, Tom, from Massachusetts. And uh, keep the reviews coming in, especially these good long ones that mention my name. Bad reviews only, please. (laughs) (laughs) We're not reading any reviews that don't mention me. (laughs) TV! Is everyone excited about TV? No, I'm yeah, I'm excited about that's cool. NBC All right, one final nugget. 
some birthdays this week. <laughs> Wait, what? You know there was actually a little bit more to that TV. We've got some news. He only put it in there because it's hockey. Well, there. Well, it's hockey look, playoffs. Saturday morning. There's a reason. Saturday morning. Saturday morning is our show yeah. because I type so wonder. I type so good. My grammar's so good. Well, the hockey playoffs are uh, on NBCSN, right? Damn straight. Are they, Matthew? I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not following the hockey season. Let's go, Islanders. Matthew, f- f- follow along here. He's asking yeah. a question. So the yes, hockey playoffs, hockey are, playoffs NBC are on Sports NBC Network. Sports Network. Got it. Um, they're head on in the playoffs, so we've been kind of pushed aside uh, to a different air date this week. But it might be a cool one if your kids are watching cartoons, boot them off the TV Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are the Saturday morning cartoon this okay, week. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, birthdays. We never do birthdays. Why are we doing this? It's just for something fun. All right, Kurt Busch, Jeff Gordon. <laughs> All right. They have, they have the same date. I thought it was ironic. <laughs> They're born our, on the same Our date. buddy Bobby Marcos <laughs> has a birthday, too. Yeah. Anybody Happy else? Happy birthday! Anybody else? Happy birthday! Dale Jr. available for hire to come to your birthday, be the clown, and make your kid feel awesome. Oh, he hey. does mitzvahs too. <laughs> Kurt Busch, I, these are you know, 40, 50 year old men. Why, why? I think they want to forget their birthday, but we're not going to. Thank God we didn't forget to wish Jeff Gordon and Kurt Bush a happy birthday today. <laughs> that, I'm not sure we'd have been able to do a podcast without that. <laughs> we were close to not including it. I, that worries me. <laughs> I'm just going to keep on putting random <laughs> in the show. Jesus. That's funny. <laughs> hey, please put the Jeff Gordon Kurt Bush happy birthday in a jingle. That belongs in the same jingle as, as everything else. 51. All right, everybody. What a show. Thanks, uh, thanks for Rodney Childers coming on. Um, I, I learned so much about his driving career. I've always been interested in learning more about it. And there's a lot of things that me and him did together that I totally have forgotten about. We've been friends a long time. Hope you guys have a great week. Michigan's this weekend. Have fun. Tune in. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.